Aren't you glad that when Jesus softly called your name, you were listening and you heard the call in your heart and you said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I'm so thankful that at eight years old, sitting in the garage of Mrs. McMillan who lived down the street from my school and I walked down for religious education every Thursday morning with a group of 10 or 12 kids and she met us there with some songs and some cookies and Kool-Aid and she gave the altar call and I said, yes, it's me. Eight years old, the Lord came in and he still calls my name quite often. You know, prayer is a funny thing. The Bible is full. We, let me back up just a little bit. We get condemned, or at least I do, when I go to the Lord in prayer and just about all that comes out is complaints. It's just stating the facts of the problem. But you pick up this Bible and you read the book of Psalms and you see how David over and over and over again said, Lord, how long will these wicked prevail? How long do we have to be chased by the enemy? Just go ahead and pour it out to him. And on the other side, he spoke sparks that faith within us that says, but God is able to do above anything that we can ask or even think possible. And that was just free this morning to be in prayer about next Sunday. My habit is every Sunday morning I come early and go through the music, make sure that's all ready to go, and then I sit down and I pray and I go through my notes again. And as I was going through my notes this morning, the Lord just downloaded a message for next Sunday. I've got notes written all over this one for, so I won't forget where I'm going. So be in prayer about next Sunday. I want the Lord's will and way to happen. This morning I want to talk about a subject that feels a little unfamiliar to me. I feel like I'm on kind of shaky ground as far as knowledge goes. But when you've been in a church approximately 3,500 Sundays in your lifetime, I said that right, 3,500 Sundays in my lifetime, you will have heard a lot of wonderful preaching, encouraging words from learned and well-studied pastors and leaders who poured into our lives a richer experience while we're on this earth, but preparing us for that heavenly experience in living eternally with Christ. Now, in case anybody whipped out your phone to do the math on those Sundays, I left out a substantial number of them <laughs> to account for 
having babies and illness and being on vacation for certain Sundays. So you won't come up with the exact amount of Sundays, which I did calculate to be close to 3,500. Is that amazing? <laughs> it means I'm really, really, really old. <laughs> but the Lord birthed this in my heart, and I do want to bring it with the best of my ability. I, I want to put a disclaimer here. This is not a deep dive into this subject, but it is a background and some preparation for where we're going to get to. And if if there's time at the end, I want to share a dream that the Lord also gave me this week. I'm going to talk today about Mount Zion and why we should know what it means and what it means to the Christian today, not just as a location in ancient Jerusalem. And Father, I ask for the Holy Spirit to drench our hearts this morning, Lord, in your presence. Oh, we thank you for your abiding presence, Lord. Help us to understand how we need to know what Mount Zion was, is, and will be in the future, in Jesus' name. The ancient Hebrew word for Zion is spelled T-S-I-Y-O-N, so Zion. And it's the highest point in Jerusalem, just outside the walls of the old city. It's the historical site of the tomb of David, and it's the place where the Last Supper took place. And it's the burial place of Mary, now, the commentaries that I read all said, A. Mary. It did not give which Mary, but the conclusion was it was probably the mother of Jesus. The first instances of the use of the word Zion in Scripture occurred in 2 Samuel 5 and 7 and was repeated verbatim in 1 Chronicles 11.5, and it says, But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. Throughout scripture, the use of Zion refers to one of these things. It's the physical hill where the remains of the most ancient sites of Jerusalem are, the city of Jerusalem itself, the entire Jewish nation, the heavenly Jerusalem, the millennial Jerusalem, and finally, the dwelling place of God. So Mount Zion was referred to throughout scripture, both physically and spiritually. Now, Psalm 48 is a perfect example 
that tells us about Mount Zion's physical majesty, majesty and the greatness of God who dwells there. And it says, how great is the Lord, how deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. It's high and magnificent, and the whole earth rejoices to see it, Mount Zion the holy mountain. And that same psalm goes on to say that when the kings of the earth joined forces with one another against the city of Jerusalem and marched to it, that when they saw it, they were astonished by it. They were stunned by it that they were so terrified by it that they turned and ran away. And the Bible says that they were writhing in pain at the sight of Mount Zion as a woman writhes in pain in labor. Only God knows what was revealed to their eyesight when they got there to see and behold that mountain but as the dwelling place of God, we know it must be a spectacular sight. It must have been something truly spectacular to behold. And when King David moved the Ark of the Covenant there, it came to represent the place where worshipers would gather and they would offer their worship to the most high God. And it remained such until the temple of Solomon was built after David died. Mount Zion is mentioned 152 times in the Old Testament and seven times in the New. In the New Testament, Mount Zion took on much greater spiritual meaning and references. And this is what I feel is so relevant for us as disciples of Christ. Would you turn please to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be reading starting verse 18. But as you know, the identity of the writer of Hebrews is a debated topic even as of today. No one really uh, is certain, but the consensus is that it was either Paul the Apostle or the Dr. Luke was one of the two of them most likely, although there's a list of a whole bunch of others that could be in the running for the authorship of the book of Hebrews. But whoever it was painted a vivid comparison of why Mount Zion is not just any old mountain. So reading verse 18, for you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, of darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the Mount Sinai, it must be stoned to death. 
So verse 21, Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. But no, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. What a heavenly choir that must have been. But let's read on, verse 23. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. Who is he talking about? Who is that assembly of God's firstborn children? It was the early church, the true church of God. And Jesus said, there'll come a time you're not going to worship at this mountain, but you'll worship me in spirit and in truth. And God seeks those who will work at worship him in spirit and truth because God is a spirit. And he said, you have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect, of course, through death. Verse 24, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and you've come to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel did. Now Mount Zion in the New Testament, in the, in the early church days, was the social center of the nation. It was where the church of God was born. It was where the upper room uh, was where the disciples went at Jesus' command to wait upon the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was where those early church goers accepted God's Son, Jesus. And it was where the writer used the imagery of Mount Zion to describe the righteous society existing among those members of the church. But he went on further with a warning for the church. Look at verse 25. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, their earthly messenger, we certainly will not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. For when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, God says, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means, verse 27, that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. What is he preparing us for? That coming city, that coming Mount Zion. Verse 28, 
since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, speaking of that heavenly kingdom of heaven, of course, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. The King James says a consuming fire, that it burns up and consumes. A stern warning, but given with love for the church today. The writer Leonard Ravenhill wrote a serious challenge about the condition of the church as he saw it. The church used to be a lightning bolt. Now it's a cruise ship. We're no longer marching to Zion. We're sailing there with ease. In the apostolic church, it says they were all amazed. But now our churches want to be amused. The church began in the upper room with a bunch of men agonizing before God. But it seems now that it's ending in the supper room with a bunch of people organizing. Oh, Jesus, we mistake a little rattle for a revival and commotion for creation and action for unction. Oh, what a, what a statement about the church. Leonard Ravenhill also wrote, Could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle and let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Mount Zion with the world around you damned? Mm. Yes, these are strong words to the church. Warning words, preparation words. And thank God that not only those of Jewish descent are welcome at this mountain, at this spiritual place where we bow our hearts, but we have been grafted into that covenant through the precious blood of Jesus. For Jesus was the fulfillment of that mountain, of that physical mountain. Jesus was the spiritual fulfillment. And that mountain used to be called Mount Moriah. And upon that spiritual Mount Zion is where we come to worship him. And upon the physical Mount Zion is where we will live in his holy presence forever. Do you know the Bible makes that connection? We come in spirit to worship and praise the one true living God. And the Bible says it's out at that Mount Zion place that we do that. But when that city comes down, it will be landing on Mount, Mount Zion and we will live there in his holy presence.
But the thing is, we as the church cannot be complacent sitting there. We can't be unworthy or not ready. We must individually come. We must individually hear that name being called and say, yes, it's me. I repent of my sin. In Mount Zion, where God dwells in spirit and in truth, nothing of ourselves not our sin, not our reprehensible nature of who we are in, uh, you know, the nature of man. None of it can be held back from that consuming fire. I pray this morning, as I stand here before you with a humble heart, that I ask the Lord to burn it out. Burn all the dross out of us. We bring our impatience. We bring our selfishness, our sinful rags, and we ask him to burn it up with the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, we just turn ourselves wrong side out before you this morning with the ugly parts, the bad tooth, and, you know, my toe's better today. I'm really thankful for that. But all of the things that we bring before him, the stuff we don't want to talk about, the stuff we don't want others to see, his wonderful grace covers even that. I want to close with this dream that I had. Don't you thank the Lord that we can come to him spiritually to the Mount Zion, but we know where we're going to dwell physically. I want to say a few things before I share this dream. The scripture tells us that we are to judge prophecies. <clears throat> so in sharing these with you, I am submitting them to you for your judgment. I don't have other than the board of this church, and I do submit them to them, among a couple of other people, prior to delivering them to you most of the time. I don't have another, you know, body of people above me to hold account, hold me accountable to, for me to be accountable to. The Bible has to be my guide and my, my, um, you know, my resource for this. And the Bible records many instances of dreams being shared among people being considered and judged by others, as well as being interpreted by some that did not have the dream or the prophecy as it may be. So I just wanted you to know my heart on this, that I certainly don't understand all of these that the Lord gives me, but I ask you to be judgeful Judgeful, is that a word? 
be in judgment about them, considerate, considerate of the consider them. And I want you to know how much I appreciate that. I think it strengthens us as a body in Christ. The name of this is All is Not Lost. I had this dream early Wednesday morning, January 10th. I dreamed that my husband, the identity of whom I do not know, I, I don't know, I just know that the relationship was as a husband. Or it could actually be representative of the Lord himself as my covering and not a real man. That I'm not certain of, so I'm just presenting it as I understood him to be my husband. He and I had planned to meet at a resort or a vacation place after I had completed a short work-related business trip. So I was going to go on this trip, he was going to go on to the resort, and then after the business trip, I would meet him there. I packed pretty lightly for the business trip, just a carry-on bag and my toiletries bag, because the trip would only last a couple of days, and then I would be joining him, and he had taken other bags for us for the vacation part of the trip. But I had a lot of delays and trouble packing up and getting away from the business location because the people continued to surround me and talk and discuss things and just wouldn't quit. So I was late getting to the airport for my flight to the resort. But I made it on the plane just in time to board the plane before takeoff. When my plane landed at the resort, my husband was there to greet me and meet me and drive me to our hotel. Again, I'm saying I do not know this person, no idea who it was. I just know the relationship. But again, my baggage seemed to cause confusion at the hotel, which was unusual. But before they would check me in to the hotel, they needed to search the bags in case I had brought something in them that they did not want me to bring to the hotel. So finally, after a long delay of being checked in, they cleared my bags and let me go to our room with my bags intact. I settled into our room and I unpacked my bags and hung up my things and before, be, but shortly after I did that, we heard some commotion outside. And not knowing what it was, we walked out of our room to find out what all the commotion was about. We could see the ocean, the sandy beach, people milling about, and all of that looked perfectly normal. But we saw that all the people were looking up into the sky. And when we looked up into the sky, we saw what all the commotion was about. There was a fight of sorts going on 
in the air involving two aircrafts of sort. One was in the shape of a man's body, <clears throat> and he clearly represented a good, clean-cut, righteous man who was fighting for freedom and safety of the people. He had all the normal physical attributes of a man, but his body was in the shape of an airplane. The head and face of his body formed the nose of the plane, and his arms were outstretched as wings, and he was flying quite erratically with his arms rising up and dipping down like you would see a little boy running around outside pretending to be an airplane. His legs and feet were together and straight behind him and formed the tail of the plane and his body was very long and we could see that he had very fair skin in the, in the nose of the plane and his hands and very fair complexion. And he had light hair that was kind of long and it was blowing in the wind as he was flying along. And I noticed that he wore a beautiful dark blue wool suit. His face was calm and peaceful. The man plane was flying in erratic circles because he was trying to avoid being struck by ammunition that was coming from another body aircraft that was chasing him through the air and shooting ammunition at him. But this body didn't appear to be a man or a plane. It was round and it vaguely resembled a man's shape, except that it was coiled up into a fetal position, forming a ball or a sphere, and it clearly looked demonic. It had a gruesome face, and it shouted threats and obscenities at the man plane, and it continually shot bullets at him. But because of the man's plane's maneuverability, he missed hitting the man plane most of the time. And we could see the bullets being deflected off of the body of the man plane. The people on the ground were shouting at the ball, leave him alone. He hasn't done anything bad. You cannot have him. And some of them were huddled together praying for the man plane. I was so distraught, and I have, I am missing a complete page. I was so distraught and overcome by this unfair violence that I turned toward my husband and I buried my face so I was so distraught and overcome by this unfair violence that I turned toward my husband and I buried my face in my hands and I said, I cannot bear to watch this anymore. It was so unfair and I just can't watch it 
any longer. And he said to me, I'm not going to go ahead and read it um, as I was going to, but he said to me, don't worry, all is not lost. And he began reading word for word the entire book of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. And he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you may seek reference. And his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And he read the, or he didn't read it, he quoted the entire thing and said again, all is not lost. And I woke up. I feel like this dream could be representative of a man, the, the man plane, but I really don't think so. I believe the man plane represents the church. And I believe that's why God gave me this dream this week in correspondence with this word that he gave me about the church coming to Mount Zion to, to uh, worship and to praise the Lord God. But I would like to know what if you have any input, if you have any thoughts, I am certainly open to it. If you want to share that now or if you want to come to me later, that's fine too. But I feel like the Lord is warning us to be ready, to be in prayer, to be under the wings of that almighty God that protects and gives refuge to those who are running from the snare of the fowler. Amen. Anybody have any thoughts you'd like to offer or share? Again, I had written down some of the things that Don and Audrey had shared with me, and I don't have that page, so I don't have them with me. If you want to re, uh, restate those, feel free. Anyone else? Yes. Because maybe the enemy is trying his, his, and that there was about a business trip, and the guy, the other plan looked like he was business. Yes. Probably about the kingdom of God business. <clears throat> and that plans, um, the enemy is trying to stop things from being birthed. So he doesn't want businesses, he wants things to be delayed. Interrupt the business. Very so good. His, his, you don't have names on planes, mm -hmm. businesses, he's in the business babies are the dreams and the seed yeah. of God. And that's maybe the whole thing. Maybe it correlates with, that's his assignment. Because doesn't it say he wanted to devour the seed in Revelation? Yeah. And always he's always wanting to devour the seed and then the, the, the offspring of the seed. So maybe it kind of, maybe it does kind of correlate what she's saying, like you, but also church. Yeah. I can see that. Very good insight. Thank you.
<clears throat> Anyone else? Okay. Well, I thank you for listening. Please pray again that the Lord will reveal what it what it does mean and be ready. Be prepared. Stay under the wings. Will you stand with me this morning? Father, how we thank you. Oh, how we thank you, Lord, that you softly and tenderly called our names and we heard you. And Lord, we may not be strong, but when we come to you in prayer and even when it's just pouring out the problem, you are God. You are almighty, O oh God. You are the strength of Mount Zion, and we can come to you in faith. And Lord, when the bullets are, are uh, shooting at us, Lord, there is shelter under your wings. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your love and grace. Thank you for the insight to the world of the Spirit of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would shed more and more of it upon us. Go with us today, O oh God, as we stay snuggled up under your wings, Lord, under your protection, O oh God, in prayer, Lord, in faith believing that regardless of the problem, you are our answer. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We love you and we appreciate you, Lord. Be with each one as we go from here. Amen and amen.